I am Chris. And I'm Matt. Welcome to Roleplay Chat. We are two game masters who can't stop talking about role-playing games. And today we talk about villains. <laughs> and as always, we'll focus in on the roleplay. I think this is going to be a really fun one um, because villains have a lot of neat, uh, a lot of juice to, to, to dig into. So anyway, before we do that, Chris, how's, how's it going? How you, how you hanging? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Uh, semester started, so it's a little bit hectic on my side, but it's, uh, it's exciting to change. Like I spend a nice summer with my, with my daughter and my, and my wife kind of chilling a little bit. And now I am realizing that like going back to work is a little bit more, um, intense right away than I expected. But also, it's kind of nice, you know, to like be in my head and not just, you know, worry about my daughter all the time. She's starting mm-hmm. uh, daycare and stuff, so it's kind of nice also to get like this different uh, kind of uh, effort. It's still still work; it's effort, but it's it's so different that it's it's nice for now. Maybe, maybe in a month and a half, I'll say something else. But <laughs> for now, it's kind of nice. How yeah, you? when you're when you're complaining about work later, I'll yeah. we'll have to, I'll replay that. I'll be like, Chris, this is exactly <laughs> what you said. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's every, like everything, right? It's like play play tennis for uh, for an hour. It's nice play tennis for seven hours. That that's work. Yeah, know, so. yeah, yeah, for sure. How yeah, no, you? I I I hear ya. I I'm still on my parental leave, and I'm dreading going back to work. Uh, it's coming up, you know, beginning of September, and. It's going to be, yeah, new job too. So it's going to be interesting to kind of balance that. Hopefully I can ease into it. That's, that's what I'm hoping. But, uh, but yeah, and in terms of, in terms of role play stuff, I'm actually happy, I, I happy, happy to talk to you about this. Cause I've been meaning to ask you, I want to run one game before I go back to work. That's my like <laughs> one game of your campaign or like a one shot. Uh, I'm not, I haven't decided yet, but <laughs> either a one shot or, or of the campaign, if I could get everybody from the campaign in, that'd be really cool. Uh, and, and just like hammer it out before I'm drowning in parental duties and work duties yeah. and just life in general. So that's, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm painting. I'm finally painting those minis that I bought <laughs> there. There's like a bunch of pirates. So I'm going to paint them all. As a player, it's ready, like, but... for me, it's just, like, not that much effort, so it's always, uh, it's, it's that, a lot of effort to organize, but it's, like, showing up and, like, it's exciting. It's, it's, it's not mm-hmm. the hours and hours and hours. <laughs> As we've established previously, we both spent a lot of times, like, prepping for games, so mm-hmm. it's, uh, yeah, playing is, I can have two, three games, I don't mind, so. Cool. Whatever, cool, cool, cool. just tell me, and I'm gonna be good to go. Nice. Um, How about you? How how's the role playing world been for you? I mean, it's interesting because because this summer, <laughs> so we we usually have a scheduling system that is like we play every two weeks, uh, which is kind of what we found to to work well when you know normal life happens. Uh, during the summer, usually we actually slow down a little bit, I think, because like people go on vacation, so it's kind of harder to organize. And uh, with COVID, well, mm. this summer, I went the other way. 
And I was like, every week we can. And we played. I mean, we played a lot. Like, we played. I don't know how many times. But, like, I think we skipped three or four weeks in total with the summer. Otherwise, it was pretty much every week. Um, Probably three weeks we skipped or something. But anyway, all that to say that we played a bunch. And uh, I was afraid. I, I, I was expecting players to jump in and out a little bit more. But pretty much everybody showed up pretty much every time, including you, right? Who were like, I don't think that's doable for me. And I mean, you made it work. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I I don't know how your marriage is going though, but <laughs> it's, it's going fine, but that was definitely my brownie points. Uh, yeah. 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 Was I wouldn't do a whole lot for me all week. And then I'd come to the game. That was my, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm looking forward to the registration system again. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It was like secretly driving me crazy that every game, we would then like wait like at the game we'd be like oh actually the thing that we thought we were doing we're not doing anymore my calendar at home has like warhammer written like on basically every friday saturday <laughs> and sunday like with scratches <laughs> and it's written back and like anyway it's a mess <laughs> yeah yeah no i get it I, I get it i had the same issue i tried to organize something you know i always say that the in any role playing game and most role playing game the the game master is the one who organizes organize the schedule and stuff. And in most mm-hmm. cases, games that die are because of scheduling. Hence, it's the game master's responsibility to make sure the game doesn't die because of scheduling. So I'm a pain in the ass with scheduling. Like I'm I'm like <laughs> sending texts and I'm like always checking back and then someone can't and I'm like, okay, how are we gonna actually play if that doesn't work this day? So it always changes and like normally with scheduling, it's not that much of an issue, but like, I don't know, this summer we played a lot and also people were kind of busy. So anyway, all of that, I, th- I think it's good for the listeners to yeah. so empathize what you're saying, with the scheduling. What you're saying, Chris, is the real villain of any game is the schedule. <laughs> it, right? is, it, is. <laughs> it is the death spiral of scheduling, right? It's, 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 yeah, it's a pain. Uh, so that villain looms over all of us as game masters. You have to make sure to fight him back with everything we got um now that i had that amazing segue i forgot that there's a couple of <laughs> housekeeping things that we have to do um <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe we'll start with your announcement chris yeah yeah so uh with all of this uh with everything that's going on i'm gonna take a little bit of a break from roleplay chat um per- maybe permanent maybe not uh, we don't know permanent in the sense that Maybe I won't come in a constant like capacity as we've been doing, obviously, but I will. Uh, I don't know. I said step step down. This sounds so official. I, I I'll just. <laughs> I need to do other things. You know, like we've talked about. I think fatigue in terms of like having one hobby, and with like the number of games I run, the role playing game, the crafting. I have a bunch of dungeons and lasers that I have to paint. Like have and want to paint paint and it's like with the kid and everything my kids have special needs and i don't know it's it's a lot and my hobby time is kind of full so i think i i i prefer cutting on role play chat than cutting on actual games i think it makes more sense so that's that's the way i've I've chosen and we talked you and i and you've been Mm -hmm. carrying role play chat for I mean, since the beginning, pretty much, <laughs> in terms of uh, <laughs> editing and in terms of market marketing, you know, Twitter and stuff and social media. And 
So I've, I've, I've always come for the chats and that doesn't mean it's going to necessarily stop. But the thing of like, you know, organizing when we actually meet, talk for a while, like this is midday and my, my work day and like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll work weekends and like, you know, so it's, it's kind of like that, that I want to avoid in the, for the semester. So mm -hmm. I think it's going to be nice I think it's, uh, for me, at least it's going to give me a little bit of a break and we've been establishing that, you know, we have guests. Uh, so I think you, you'll still have fun talking to interesting people. Yeah, for sure. Well, so before I say that, thank, thanks, Chris. It, it was a lot of fun having you and having this together and, and doing the show. So I, I wanted to thank you on the air for, for being part of this adventure with me. Um, and for those of you listening, this isn't the end of the adventure. I'm going to keep the show going uh, as best I can. Like Chris said, I'm going to try to have guests on the show every other week. So the schedule shouldn't change. Uh, the schedule, I mean, I might take a little bit of a break. This might be, uh, quote unquote, the end of our second season. And then I'll kick it back off at the third season with um, with just me. I'll have to come up with a new intro or maybe I'll just say the intro all by myself. We'll see. Um, but yeah, it, it, I'll have guests on. It, I might have some friends of the show like Vince, uh, who's been on the show before. I've talked a little bit with him and he, he's interested in coming, you know, every now and then. So we'll see what works out. But I want you listening to know that this, this isn't the death of the show. It's going to keep going. The schedule will remain the same. And there will be, you know, hopefully all kinds of interesting guests with interesting perspectives on the hobby that will be joining us on a bi-weekly basis. Nice. It's going to be role play chat, friends and math or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's good that we made it rhyme with your name and not mine, because otherwise... That's true. My <laughs> wife was saying, my wife's name is Christina, and she's like, well, I can be the Chris for a little bit. And I'm like, if you want. <laughs> and before we get started, let's hear a quick word from some friends on the Twitterverse. Welcome, everybody. I'm Kevin Odie. I'm Jared Vornigal. And I'm Will Melder. And we are Monsters and Multiclass, a Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition discussion show. On our episodes, you can expect to hear our takes on multiclasses, including the mechanical viability and possible backstories for making these characters. We cover monsters, how to fight them, how to play them, and how to throw them at your players in a plausible way. And whenever the Wizards of the Coast deign to release new subclasses for us to experiment with, we will cover them in depth. Videos are released every Wednesday with a podcast version released on Thursdays. You can find us on monstersandmulticlass.com, YouTube, or anywhere you find your podcasts. So thanks for checking us out, and let's make every session the best it can be. With Monsters and Multiclass. But, uh, but yeah, but with that, let's, let's kick off the swan, Chris's swan song his last his quote-unquote last <laughs> episode obviously chris you're welcome whenever you want to come back uh yeah yeah no it's 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 gonna be uh I, I think it's gonna be nice to be like you and i when we talk after a game we'd be like oh that'd be a good episode like and now we can shoot it when we want and not having to come up with episodes mm. it's like everything you know like a hobby becomes work when you have to do it for sure so absolutely let's keep it job fresh. hobby becomes jobby as they say yeah 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 so <laughs> i mean let's i, I was trying let's to find villains. a segue yeah let's, villains, villains. Villains. let's do it uh well and also i mean i mean thank you matt also for like 
it was very exciting at the beginning to like come up with everything we came up with. It was still ex- like it was exciting all the way through, but I think we we've reached reached that point for me. But um, it was nice to we knew each other for years before, but mm-hmm. it created a, I think a, a new bond that it's gonna last. So thank you Absolutely. for thank you for the experience and dealing with me and. Uh, <laughs> Likewise. All right, let's stop gushing and let's, let's talk it. about village. <laughs> okay. Um so yeah, we we thought we'd start probably with Okay, so there's a lot of way to tackle villains, right? There's like how mm. to introduce them, what makes a great villain and everything. But we we talked about it and we thought maybe the the best way of starting is just talk about villain types that are there and talk about our experience with them. Obviously, you can find very different lists in different books. I know, like, the Book of Vile Darkness, uh, D&D 3rd edition, 3.5, not sure. I think it's 3.5, uh, yeah. 3.5. I mean, you can you can find that there's a list. We, we went with, like, easy to find first list uh, on Google because that's not really the point. You can categorize villains all you want, but it's just a kind of start the flow of the discussion. And I think for the listeners, if you're trying to come up with a villain, I, I personally think it's a good starting point to talk with like the stereotypes or I guess the archetypes of villains mm-hmm. and then modify them. So let's um, let's talk about that. Yeah, so the, the list that we have here to kick us off is from masterclass.com. And it's a masterclass, I believe it's for like writing. It's like how writing and, and screenplays and that kind of stuff. Um, and they say that the eight villain archetypes that they're aware of, the first one is the anti-villain. So this is an archetype where the bad guy is, uh, or, or bad girl or bad person, it has this kind of sympathetic motivation. You know, it's, it's appealing and it's, you know, p- people, players can kind of sympathize with that motivation. Usually it's like doing something bad for the greater good or, or things like that. Noble goals with like a twisted dark side attached to it that you're going to have to deal with to reach the ultimate end state, if you will. Um, so that's, that's they, kind of the anti-villain. They give examples like Hannibal Lecter. I mean, inside, I, maybe I don't remember it right, but I don't see him as an anti-villain at all. But anyway... For me, anti-villain, like a good one is Thanos, right? It's, it's yeah. like when you're like, he has a point, but come on, dude, don't do that. You know, uh, I think that's a that's a good one. Uh, maybe we could talk about our experience with anti-villain in like actual role-playing games. Sure, I I'm, I haven't thought of any, but I'll let you start and maybe I'll think of one. Yeah, um, so I think anti-villains are really uh, fashion. <laughs> it's like in, in media right now. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. I think uh, in a role-playing game, it is kind of hard to pull off because you have to make sure... You know, I think what makes it work in, like, movies and stuff is the fact that you can show the villain side. Like, you know, like, um, Infinity War was basically that, was, like, making Thanos being sympathetic to his goal, mm-hmm. right? So a whole movie where you could have his perspective. In role-playing games, you don't usually, you could, but you don't usually, like, do cutscenes with, like, you see the villain side of it. So that means that you have to do exposition, <laughs> I think, to the actual character in-game that he has a point without being too obvious about it. So what I'll say is, like, I have one villain that I've tried doing that, and I don't even know you guys saw it, like, as an anti-villain. It was the Warp Lord 
when he talked to mm. you and he kind of like asked you about your motivation. So the Warp Lord is basically a guy at this point where you know about him is the fact that he does horrible things. He creates mutants using like Warpstone, which is kind of like a corrupted, like radioactive material. And he's experimenting to like create the ultimate like human, like the ultimate yeah. mutant, I should say. And he has he is there to fight what he believes is like the control of the elves over the human magic. And that's what he talked to about it. And like this goal, if he's if his um presumption or like his hypothesis, like how do you say I hold it should if his presumptions are true, it kind of makes sense what yeah, he's doing. Yeah. Um, but he's doing he has a lot of like collateral damage in doing so. I don't think and you actually, guys you were ever like hesitating on like his side, right? No, but I I think that that you bring up a really interesting point. I think the anti-villain in a role-playing game setting almost like for them to be quantified as an anti-villain, the players need to make that decision because mm -hmm. each character, each player is going to have their own moral compass and the things that they deem um worthy of perhaps a sacrifice to reach that greater good so it it almost you almost need to just give characters or villains i'm just thinking out loud here but you almost have to mm -hmm. give a villain a motivation and their ends to that mean it's going to be on the players to decide whether or not that that like those ends are sympathetic enough like the, the goal is sympathetic enough or not if, if that makes sense that makes total sense and that is a problem if we compare it to normal media if we come back to thanos like i don't think the avengers ever were like oh he might have a point mm -hmm. let's kill half of all existence right the the heroes were never sympathetic to the villain making them an, an anti-villain it's us as spectators that we can actually come up to that I mean, sometimes in movies, like I was watching Walking Dead and like the, one of the characters was talking was like, are we the villains? Like they were like <laughs> literally saying like, are we the villains? And maybe they have a point. And now now like the character sees them as anti-villain. Yeah. Like in, in, in a role-playing game where like you guys are clearly the heroes and maybe that is specific to our campaign. Um, it's hard to come up with an anti-villain because if you agree with them, you kind of become the villain. So I don't know, maybe that is a problem in role-playing games. So, so I think what yeah. I would say is, like, as the game master, you can set up something as, like, you see as an anti-villain. But I'm not sure, like, like the example of the Warlord. Help, yeah, it can help motivate you to create an interesting character, right? It can, especially the anti-villain, I feel like, heavily relies on this uh, motivation, right? And mm -hmm. most of the time when we're creating a villain as a game master, one of the things that we think about, or I know that we, you and I think about is their motivations. What are they trying to achieve? So you just give them a motivation that is quote-unquote good or justifiable, but they have to do terrible things to get there, and then boom, you've got yourself a, you've got yourself a villain who fits the mold of an anti-villain. Whether or not the players will see them as such is, is another discussion. Yeah, maybe that's something not to worry too much about it. Like, and not push the like, but guys, he has a point. No, he has like. Otherwise, it becomes a little bit stiff. I think. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think, and and also, I 
I think something that fast, like I'm taking it another a little parallel thing like here. Something that always fascinated me was characters becoming villains. Uh, mm. Never happened. But like, I like setting it up, setting it up, setting it up. And that to me is often through this anti-villain. Like I'm thinking of Diedrich, who is not ne- necessarily on the road to villainy, mm-hmm. but you put seed of possibility there, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's what makes them... Like, they become anti-villains because of that. Like, because mm-hmm. you get to see the, the reasoning and the... the exactly. But uh, maybe we should move on yeah. to, uh, to the next villain archetype. I'll let you go for it. Yeah. Next one is the Beast. So classic villain. Goal is to terrorize and attempt to defeat. It's often literally a monster, a big thing. So that's something that D&D is very like conducing to right like just like a big freaking monster um normally cannot be reasoned with it's just something that is there to eat maim hurt kill um so that is i think it's an obvious one uh Mm -hmm. sometimes you don't see it as a villain it's almost like a henchman in my like it's like an obstacle an obstacle yeah yeah it's rarely the the one that you've you put as the the leader, but I think it's it might be interesting to do it. You know, like I, I tend to not do this. Like I have like beastmen in my campaign. I don't tend to put like a big leader. I did it, but like I don't set it up in the same way to have like this big monster that is appears everywhere, uh, or like you know orcs could be could work with this. Mm-hmm. I don't tend to do this. I I tend to make you hunt beasts like the. The creature on top of the mountain that you needed to kill. Uh, to but I, I, I kind of like this concept. Um, mm-hmm. That ultimately, the final boss is this like unreasonable, gigantic creature that instills fear. For a really long time, I considered, and I never really ran it because it's not it's just too simple right like like you're saying because it's just too simple but for a really long time i wanted to run a game that was these villagers these towns that are being terrorized by like a a, a giant creature i didn't even know what it, i think it was i was thinking of like a mammoth like a huge mammoth that's just like wrecking stuff that's that's it like you're so it wasn't going to be a long thing maybe four or five games where the characters and the players learn about the creature, learn where it is, or it's like um, schedule kind of like where where it goes and what it does, how how to defeat it. You go, you fight it, you kill it, and that would have been that would have been the whole arc, if you will. Um, but the reason why I like the beast is because it's so obvious that this is something that you have to go get rid of. Like it's sometimes it's a lot of fun to have like this intricate intrigue where you don't know who the villain is or like this master plan or, or, or a sympathetic motivation for somebody to do something. But other times it's nice to just be like, this, this creature doesn't need a motivation. It's just this gigantic thing that wants to live its life and eat and be left alone. And the humans are just in the way. And that, that can be kind of, I thought it was kind of refreshing. So yeah, that's, that's yeah. where I sit on that. No, I I think I agree. That is, like you saying, it's too simple. It is, but it might. It's just. It's you know that doesn't mean it won't work. Yeah. So it's, you, you know uh, you could have like small. You could have like a small faction that 
maybe a praise to this thing, maybe mm. like goblins or 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 come up with your own, you know whatever kind of little demonic type of faction that just like they give sacrifices to it and they like leave it alone, but they like roam around in its territory, and that that can add a layer to to the complexity a little bit. But it's still pretty yeah, and that's usually how I bring beasts in in terms of like ritual because that's very Warhammer because it's very Cthulhu. Yeah. Like the whole like, there's a mastermind. There like someone doing the person you have to stop is the one trying to bring the the, the demon <laughs> in the world. But if the demon is out, this is now the villain. Like this is the thing. Like who cares about the plan of the guy? He succeeded. Yeah, you basically fail to stop the first villain. There is now a worse villain, and the worst villain is the beast. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's also actually more of like another type, which is we can talk about it later. But like the evil incarnate, which is the sixth one. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's it's like I put those two together usually, like the beast and evil incarnate, because it's like you know demonic and stuff. So I don't know. Maybe we can skip the six since I talked about it. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to me, that's something I, I I tend to do, and I all usually because of in the warmer world, it's associated with like one of the chaos gods, which is evil incarnate, right? It's literally that. Like it's there's four gods, and demons are representation of their gods. So in yeah. my mind, demons are demons. There's some small ones, there's some big ones, but they are what I, I use as like an evil incarnate villain. And and just for those of you listening. Uh, the descriptor here for this is basically a villain that personifies evil itself, offering little character development or backstory. So it's really just something that's... It could be like a beast. Some of the examples they give here are like Sauron or the Joker. I... I don't know how much I agree with that. I mean, the Joker, maybe. It's just this person who who personifies evil. But I like to take it a step further, kind of like you said, Chris, where it's really, especially in these fantasy worlds, if you're playing in a Cthulhu-type world, it's usually like a demon or or some kind of like Cthulhu-esque creature. Um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, without spoiling too much for you, Chris, I'm hoping to have a creature like this in my game. I want to have like a giant kraken or, or like a Cthulhu monster or something. And that's like, this is exactly where... Between the beast and evil incarnate, like you said, they're kind of mixed together. Um, and this kind of... I know originally, Chris, we said we were going to kind of go through each of these individually, and then we were going to talk about stuff. But I kind of... This is this is inspiring me to think of... of to talk about a little bit my ideology when it comes to villains. Yeah. Um, and a big part of my ideology is to have villains that are chaotic and also villains that are perhaps more systematic, reasonable. more reasonable, uh, and to have both of these factions present. So you have one that's more chaotic, so like an evil incarnate or a, or a beast or, or something that's just like pure bad, cannot be reasoned with, like in the Warhammer universe, the Beastmen or the different factions of chaos. Like for the most part, the Beastmen are just evil and mm-hmm. you, they're there, they're a threat. And they constantly present a threat to the to the people that are playing the game. And then you have, as we get into these other categories of villainy, you have the ones that are a little bit more intellectual, that are a little bit more, um, they follow a code. Maybe they're hiding in plain sight. And having these two different 
factions of villainy coexist in a world, I find very interesting because the players can kind of interact with the different sides of villainy and they apply pressure on the game in different ways, right? The, the one that's just chaotic presents a constant threat when you're out in the open, when you're camping, when you're traveling, and perhaps intersects with the more intellectual faction of villainy that presents a different pressure where it's like, oh, when I'm in a big town, I better keep secrets. I better make sure I look out for who I'm talking to. I better, um, I better try to outsmart the, the intellectual villain. So having them both be present, I, I find a lot of fun. Um, I don't know where I was going with this, but that talking about the evil incarnate and the beast made me think of that because I like to try to have something synonymous to that in in my games mm -hmm. in in my rising tide campaign the pirate campaign it's the deep ones it's the the you know the, that chaotic god that's potentially going to be coming back and all of its minions that's that's the like quote-unquote beast or chaotic evil that's present the intellectual side is is the faction that's looking to bring back the god it's it's the that this pirate crew that the party's not too sure exactly what they're doing, but they're somehow involved. Um, your your character's family at one point is you know associated to this. So anyway, so that that's where I I sit. In no, I, I think I think it's interesting, and I think it's. I, I will even go as much as say like that this is needed in a long term campaign. Maybe not a mm -hmm. short term, but like in a long term campaign, I think this what is that's what's bringing nuance to a game. If you just have one or the other, so the the problem with having just like pure evil and beast and like creature is that, I mean, your social skills of like problem solving, I, I feel like it's less interesting to just have that. And the other side, if you just have a bunch of like you know, other colonies or other like just the others, you know, it's kind of a little bit. It can be frustrating to advance because you're just not you're not just gonna kill them because then you become the villain. So I'm thinking again. I don't know why I've I've been watching Walking Dead and I think it's a good it's a good example where like the zombies are always there. Yeah. If you kill zombies, you don't have a problem of like morality associated with it. You just you just kill zombies. They're you know. But when you meet another faction that have opposing goals then what do you do like do you kill other humans that's like it would be better to work together but at the same time you guys are attacking me mm -hmm. i want to defend myself so now that's an interesting question but you i think both work very well together in my game right now it's like there's like yeah there's the beastman and stuff but there's also like the cultists that i think you guys are like there, there's no morality to it to that much because they're like yeah. way past what needs to be done but they're also the welcomers who are like the faction kind of like bullying the rest of them and like having the control of the region where you have like conflicting goals with them. But you're like, you don't want to just go there and kill them. Like you were basically offered that and like half of the party were like, what the hell? These are just people. Let's mm -hmm. not just execute people willy nilly. Right. So it's it, that's interesting. But sometimes you want a straightforward kill sometimes you want a complicated like social encounter to get to like the villain and stuff so yeah i think that is a very 
important axis to consider when you create the the world of a position that your character are gonna face. Yeah, I think that's yeah. an interesting ideology to focus on. Yeah, cool. Thank you. So, did did you want to talk a little bit about your ideologies, Chris, or should we keep on the list? And if you feel inspired, we um, can... I I could, but I think my ideology is a strong word. Like I think yeah. I, I also think of of what you you just said, but I think uh, my thing is more about how to how do villain come up in the story. So I think maybe we can go back to the list and and, and sure, we'll see. Sure. Um, let's so try let to get through it a little bit a little yeah, bit faster because we're running a little. Actually, long. I'll. Cool. I'll, I'll take it because, like, I just talked about the welcomers who are kind of like controlling a region, and the third one is the bully. The bully uh, on the list uh, serves as a simple, straightforward a position. Uh, they something. They sometimes they have a, a background to explain why they're so oppressive. Uh, maybe it's a childhood um, insecurities or something like that. I, in like the welcomers in my campaign, I have created a backstory for them to like to to understand why they are there at where they're right now because i think it's it is important um and they serve as the bully so yeah awesome yeah and that's a that's a good point bullies are an interesting bad a bad guy to have um present the next the next one is the machine i might skip over this pretty quickly but the machine is it sounds like it's just a construct of sorts that is similar to the beast similar to evil incarnate so it's another one of these uh quote unquote um lifeless here it's lifeless and it's like a something built but it's basically like this agent of destruction agent of villainy that just enters into the world usually under the hand of somebody else um i think here where it can be a little bit different a little bit more interesting is that you can have someone's creation go awry and that's often mm -hmm. what happens in media if you look at ultron and the avengers it's it's ultron wasn't created if i remember correctly ultron was created to be like an agent of good but he was so intellect like so intelligent that it it kind of the ai took kicked in and and it became a, a villain so it's fun to yeah, watch that happen yeah and the reason the machine for me on this list seems a little bit worse is like yeah, but Ultron is also, you know, like they're kind of all mixed up right there. He's also yeah. an antivitamin in the sense that like he's using logic to come up to that. I don't know. The machine to me, you can mix with anything. You can do the beast machine. You can do the mastermind machine. You can do the anti-villain machine. So it's kind of like it's more like a little theme to put on. So yeah. um, do what you want with this. Uh, I think the next one is is more interesting. The next one is uh, the mastermind. So uh, it opposes by being overly brilliant, having a diabolical master plan, uh, schemers, evil genius, uh, in the attempt to like you know attack, uh, defeat the protagonist mentally. So kind mm -hmm. of like with overly like super strategy, basically. Um, I love this because as the game master. You have the control in the world of like a lot of things. So I think a mastermind is in perfect um, alliance with the role we play as game masters. Yeah, they're also fun because oftentimes the mastermind is somebody who hides in the shadows, who, whose identity um, is unknown to the players. Or maybe at least they, they may know who this person is, but they might not know their affiliation to 
to to the villainy in your game. So it it's fun to have this character that's scheming in the background. Um, I find though the hardest part of a mastermind character is to have the reveal feel uh, deserved. Like you want the players to have an aha moment where they figure it out. You don't want to just hand it to them, and that's something that I find to be a challenge. You, you want to kind of seed who the villain is slowly. I think a good way to do this is to start by giving them clues that point them towards a faction, point them towards an, an organization or an association within the world that they're playing in. And then slowly as they work their way closer, you get to learn, like you kind of like narrow it down so that mm -hmm. there's only a couple of options possible. And then you let the players try to figure out the last, um, they make that last step on their own. You, you ran a mastermind in your game, Chris, right? The, I don't know if you consider him a mastermind, but from the outside, it felt like he was the uh, the, the priest Ulrican. of uh, the Ulrican priest who mm -hmm. was summoning Kazran. Do you want to talk a little? Yeah, about I him? guess so. I guess so. I, I, it's true that I don't. I was seeing more as a fanatic, I guess. Uh, mm. But it's true that he had a mastermind in the sense that he was hiding in plain sight, controlling pieces without other people knowing. Um, so that is. That is pretty close to the mastermind. Uh, I think the difference is like he was not a villain that you guys oppose. Like he was not opposing you. You were opposing him. So like he mm -hmm. wasn't attacking you mentally. He was like I guess at the end, like when he realized you were a threat. But like I think the mastermind is often more proactive than this. You know, like he's like seeing them. It's like I want something from them. I'll control them. I'll make them fall in my plans to make them. Mm, I'll use the players to my ends, which is not what this guy did. So I think it's I, I have a little bit of like mastermind, but like it's not out yet. <laughs> uh, it's probably not gonna be out for a while. But like, um, I think it, it like you said, the reveal is where it's very touchy because it's the payoff and like that's a lot of the thing with the villain villains in general the way you introduce them is kind of can can be problematic like a very mm -hmm. great villain can be introduced badly and just falls flat um so maybe we can talk about about this a little bit um but yeah i think a mastermind is problematic for that so you can either like have seeds of like you know they found the letter with his name or like you find other things and you know he's there he's just not attainable you know like the whole uh palpatine like the um, in star wars is the emperor is is the mastermind he's yeah yeah the moment they meet him in like the initial trilogy like if one of the first encounter basically he the second someone fights him he loses right the, the second darth vader decides like no i'm not having any of this throws him and like it's just done mm -hmm. uh so it's not about this it's about mentally controlling Darth Vader and Luke and controlling the pieces in the background and be like, basically, like, you fell in my trap. Um, great villain. Also kind of evil incarnate, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the, the, the lines blur pretty often. Yeah. Um, okay, let, let's keep on going. Unless you want to talk about... Well, we can talk about introducing villains, too, now, if you want, Chris. No, we, we, let, let's, let's, let's right. finish this. So, Seven is the henchman. Yeah, so the henchman is often somebody doing the dirty work of somebody else. They're kind of a, 
uh, a sidekick to the mastermind or some other major evil person in your game. And usually there's someone that, that kind of shows up, um, I would say, earlier on in your game, right? They, they, might be, they might be one of these clues, like defeating the henchman might give them information about who the mastermind is, or uh, might allow the players to kind of regain control of a certain territory in your game, th things like this. Um, I find henchmen make really good big bads for like the first arc of a campaign, especially if you're playing with new with new newer players, they're not too familiar with the tropes of of role playing games. It can be fun to throw in like a like a wizard or somebody like a maybe like a a spellcaster who's in charge of all these goblins or in charge of all these orcs, and he appears to be somebody with a master plan. But then when you get to him, you realize like, oh, this is just a this is the wizard who's like actually part of like a lich's uh a lich who's like in charge of everything anyway i'm i, I, I mean you, you you just said the whole thing with the tomb in my game right like it was basically that there was a necromancer you guys are like oh let's let's chase him and kill him and when you killed him you realize he was not even voluntarily like he was controlled by a lich mm. and that was just a, a moment of like oh this was the henchman one and two like he was controlled so like it's that layer of the henchman is probably even worse, you know, because someone died without actually, like he was evil without wanting to be evil. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think the henchman is the stepping stone to a bigger one. And the problem, not the problem, but like, I guess one of the issue I, I, with the henchman is like, you can, your main villain can always be the henchman to someone else basically. So it's almost like Russian dolls, you know, you can do yeah. that. And you don't even need to necessarily set it up, right? Like the mm -hmm. second that person dies, you can be like, but there's someone worse that was controlling him and stuff like that. So sometimes I, I, that is a solution and a problem. It's a solution if you introduce a villain that you're like, this is going to be the main villain. And you kind of, I want to say screw up, but like maybe you, you didn't foresee the fact that the players were going to defeat him that easily. So he's defeated. Instead of being like, well, all my campaign is, you know, you you can just make it a henchman and like make someone bigger and badder. Um, but then you need to at one point not do that. You know, you can't always go bigger, bigger. That becomes a little bit boring, I think, at a time. Um, yeah, yeah. I want to stop after, I would say, the second or third iteration. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Otherwise, your players are going to start to get suspicious, I think. <laughs> <laughs> You kill the, you know, the chaos god of pain. Oh, but there's another one even more. <laughs> there's the creator um, of the universe. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. And then the, the last one on this list is the fanatic. You want to take it away, Chris? Yeah, the fanatic, uh, you know, driven by an extreme ideology. So that's some, often someone you, it's hard to reason with because they have something as like a value system and they're propelled by often as religion twisted moral beliefs uh i really i think that that is kind of a full fun thing to play uh they get it gives them fuel to carry out their twisted mission so i'm thinking the one that comes to mind for me very easily is the uh, the sparrow in game of thrones this is the sparrow like it was the leader of like um the religion like they gave control to like one yeah, person yeah, yeah. and then the person with their like 
extreme views kind of use that power to do horrible things. Um, a good example, but... actually. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, they, they do make a fun... Uh, they make a fun villain to play. Uh, we, we haven't really talked too much about like impersonating or like taking on mm -hmm. the skin of these people as game masters, but there, uh, what I find fun about them is that you can really take it to the extreme, right? Like you can you can think of a of a concept or of a moral uh, think of a moral decision and then just like hammer it home to the extreme. I, I think part of the reason why it's also easy to think of these is because like the world continues to be plagued by people that are like this. So in, in actuality, you know, there's definitely fanatics that still exist. So it, it can be, I don't know if it could be cathartic to take down the fanatic villain, or maybe it's too close to home and some people might not like it. I don't, I don't know. But personally, I find it interesting to play a character like that because it's almost like a caricature, it's almost like an exaggeration of a certain trait. And then, as a player, it's fun to take down somebody like that, because then it feels cathartic to be like, yeah, we took down this person, I can't do a whole lot about it in real life, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, I agree, and, and, and what I like to play with the fanatic is the fact that like this twisted moral is, when someone tries to convince you, you can use that to reinforce your own, and that that is a true fact, you know. Like when you tr when you can try to convince someone that their ideology is false or like is is based on something false, it tends to reinforce it. Mm -hmm. So it 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 creates someone that on the surface seems that you can reason with, but you can't really. Uh, and 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 they can that that's when you get really nice speeches too, right? Of like. Um, yeah, you get like Oscar moments with it with your villain or whatever. It's it's fun. I mean, you also get that with the anti-villain, but I think the anti-villain usually don't make more like they don't try to moralize other people. Like they just like they have their plan, they're focused on it. Fanatic will will try to convince you that what they're doing is the right thing to do because they're so convinced and they're trying to like almost bring you to their side. So that could be a cool angle in a role-playing game to be like trying to almost like bring the heroes to but you don't understand. Like, I guess my my warp lord is a little bit like that too. Like, that's why he talked to you. He's like, like maybe maybe you can join me if you understand. And then he he saw that you were not interested at all. He's like, okay, well you're yeah, you're a sheep. You just follow then follow the rules. Good luck with that. You know. That's true though. The 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 line between the fanatic and the and the uh, what was the first one? The anti villain can be can be very close to each other. Like. I'm I'm sure every fanatic villain, or at least every fanatic villain I've played, thinks they're being an anti-villain, right? Like they think we're doing this thing, but it's for the greater good. The problem is the greater good that they envision isn't all that great, or isn't morally just. So that it, it's kind of, you know, they, they fix it on this moral belief, they twist it, and that's where it becomes fun. Um, cool. So so those are the different uh, villain types. I hope that. For those of you listening, that that was helpful and that it inspired you to create your next villain. Um, now, should we jump straight into? You have a villain. How do you make the party uh, become aware of them? I think that yeah, that 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 is a big one. So I think I think there's there's different things. Like so, we we can talk about like uh, 
impersonating villains and we can talk about introducing villains. So let's go with introducing villains. Um, you know what? No, I want to start with the other one. I want to start with impersonating villains because I think it's going right. to be important in the other one too. Uh, so when you create a villain, Matt, uh, I'm going to throw it to you. <laughs> what are you know the, the elements you're trying to hit? What are the things in your mind that are important when creating a villain? Is that a yeah, good starting yeah. question? Yeah, I think that's good. Yeah, so I like to try to think of, I mean, usually I think of like a theme or or like an ideology that might be interesting. But one of the things that I often try to strive for in my villain is I want them to instill emotion in my characters. Usually that emotion is like fear or or fear adjacent and oftentimes there's there's a lot of different types of fear right so if it's a beast or if it's a if it's something that i want the people to just be afraid of like this monstrosity of pain of suffering in like a very concrete way that's where like the beast death, you know like yeah death or the death of people that you love or or like harm coming to to your village, things that you care about, it's usually a beast or one of the synonymous categories. The, the other side is like more fear of, fear like of, of being, sorry, fear of the inescapable, fear of being watched and surrounded by things that you can't control. That's where the more intellectual things come in. For instance, the welcomers, the group that you talked about earlier in today's episode, they, they control the highways in the entire province or, or country that we're in. That's scary because if you get on their bad side, you can't get away from them. They, they have this big reach. So to me, that makes them a really interesting villain because they have, they do instill fear, not necessarily fear that I'm going to get my head decapitated in a gruesome way, but fear that I can't get away from them or fear that people are going to see me and then go and tattle on me. So that kind of fear is, is another thing that I try to think about. Like when I'm creating a villain, how do I strike on those different emotions? Um, so that's usually my starting point. I, I have my two, my two uh, chaotic versus lawful villains. I try to think of the types of things that I want my players to feel when they come into contact or when they are like exploring these villains and then i kind of i kind of go from there that that usually dictates the motivations the motivations come after that um and then i think we can go on forever but that that's kind of the one two three in in my head does that answer your question i think it does yeah i mean i mean okay. it's a start a good starting point so you so i think something we already talked about in like a very far back episode was motivation obviously motivation 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 from your villain if you don't know what what the villain wants and why it opposes the player character then there's not there's not a villain there right so so i think we're just assuming that but so so let's make it explicit maybe not i guess it probably the first thing like you, you have to know like what do they want and why does it opposes the the, the heroes but let's say you have that so you have like what you want from the villain now like you said i think the feeling you want to bring in the in the player characters as a great starting point for me uh is also 
if I want to set up a big villain, and maybe we can talk about my ideology, uh, maybe that's going to be a good time, but like, to me, it's making them memorable is very important for me. And memorable can be from a, a lot of different things. So one is their motivation is clear. Uh, so you could do that in terms of like, you know right away their motivation, and it it is a motivation that is so outrageous that the players will be like, it will stick to, in their mind that this person is associated with that goal. Mm-hmm. Um, there's quirkiness, uh, some like something weird, maybe the way they talk. So that's where the voice can be important. Uh, that's you, the villains are the people I usually work their voice the most. Not necessarily like I think I have the problem I have with voice for villains that I, I tend to go to the like low intimidating thing so sometimes or like the overly laughing like the joker it's sometimes hard to like find nuance there Mm. so but that's something i worry with villains to make them unique and memorable uh in different quirks and voices and you know flavors uh you know my last villain is kind of like it's a slanish slanish like villain where i wanted him to make him like super pretty and charming but like in a very intimidating way um, so that that was kind of like the memorable quirkiness of it. So yeah, I think being memorable, you, you don't want a villain that is just like, uh, cut, you know, cut and paste, cut and paste. or yeah, you want you want the party and the players. And, and I don't know if I've ever done this on purpose or not, but I like the idea of like I agree with you 100. Mem- like making the memorable is important. And I think the way I do that is through emotion. Like, I, I try to mm-hmm. make the players realize, like, oh, damn, I feel bad because this villain just killed my my captain. Or, oh, they they killed somebody that I care about. I feel... By tying it to an emotion, I feel like it makes the, the memory of that character cemented. But I also like, like you're saying, descriptors, quirkiness, uh, something very specific to that. Maybe it's an equipment. Maybe it's armor maybe it's um just to add to things you're saying not necessarily the voice but like visually something that's that's distinctive but without like i kind of like not saying exactly what the villain looks like Like, it's nice to be like you see them off in the distance and they're wearing this gold-plated armor and they have a big mask over their face you know that that's the guy that's in charge but like what's the mat like what's under that mask or like like you, I, I like adding a, a layer, and I'm sure you do this too, Chris. Like a layer of mystery that makes the players want to find out more about who the villain is. They might already know that they're the villain. Like I think that's important in some circumstances to be very explicit that this is the person you're fighting against. But who is this person really? What do they really look like? Your description, at least at the beginning, I don't like to make it too explicit because then. It lets people like go back and, and think about it. Like when you introduce the warp lord to us, Chris. This is a, a, a may, maybe you didn't like that we called him this, but we used to call him Edward Scissorhands because yeah. he had blades on his fingers, and we were kind of laughing at him. But we never really got a good look at him for, at the beginning. It was like skulking around in the shadows. He had this trait that was very specific to him, but who was he really? What did they look like? Were they a person? Were they an elf? Were they a a creature, like a mutated creature, we didn't really know. So that was kind of p- part of solving the mystery was what made him memorable, uh, if that makes sense. 
yeah, no, that that that's a great example. And it's it's hard to do that every time. And yeah, that's where yeah. I think creativity comes comes in. And that's where great villains like the Joker or Darth Vader, like you know, Darth Vader just changing the the, the voice of Darth Vader is not the actual person who is in the costume because they were like, this voice is not it's not what we want, right? So so they they cast someone just for the voice to make sure it was memorable and the, the right the right kind of memorable let's put it that way so um and also in induce the feeling of like dread and fear that that they wanted so i think it's it's all of this is kind of put together and and maybe we can segue to like introducing and i think the, these quirkiness are and that's why i want to start with that are the elements you might introduce bit by bit so like for mm -hmm. the the last villain uh the yoaf the slanish i was talking about um he was introduced games and games before as the father of one of the players and so he was the father you guys knew he had a father and then you you associated with like oh he's actually the the leader of the cult and then it's like then you learn that this guy also killed one of the other characters father and then so like the feeling of like this guy is dangerous and we want to deal with him, kill him or whatever was there even before you saw him the first time. So last game, there was a combat and one of the person, two, two of the players got ambushed and you guys were, the two were like, basically like, okay, we got ambushed by a wizard, but we'll go kill him. But the second you guys knew what the guy, the, the, the big villain looked like with like a golden armor. The second I described, like, you see a man from a distance coming with, like, a golden armor and everything, the players were like, oh, we're in trouble. And, like, I didn't say much. It was just, like, the threat of this guy coming to you. And then the whole fight changed from, like, oh, we have a chance to kill one of the henchmen to, like, no, no, this is the big bad guy. He's there. Let's run away. You know, so... To me, like I was very proud to this introduction because it was set up piece by piece to show the threat and then introducing him. Um, you already had all the setup to know mm -hmm. not to deal with to to mess with this guy, you know. Yeah, no, that was that was a lot of fun. Um, it, you did that. You did that well, and then it's going to be interesting to see how people then talk about right. Like the characters are then going to tell each other about that interaction because we weren't all. We did not mm -hmm. all meet him. Um, I, I, I also like this idea of when you introduce a villain, to introduce the concept of who this person mm -hmm. is before the person gets introduced. That's one way to do it, right? Um, I ran a game a long time ago where there was like a corrupt... He was basically like a corrupt businessman who owned a port and he... He was taking over his father's work and was like, the dad was reputable, but this guy was, was he was kind of sleazy and he was a villain to, in this town that was kind of in charge of a lot of things. And the players knew about his business. They knew about the shady things that were going on and like, that this person couldn't be trusted before actually knowing who it was. They, they knew the name, but they didn't know the face. But I think that the face isn't as important. Like, n n knowing why you need to fear this person or 
why this is a person that you need to be concerned of like and and stay out of their way or get them out of yours i think is part of that introduction and maybe that's like too conceptual but i'm trying to remember how i did it because it was such a long time ago yeah i'm i'm blanking but it, it was basically yeah no but i understand like so i think i think there's two ways and that that do you want to continue or I, I wasn't sure if you lost it or not? No, yeah, that that's good. I think I make sense for those listening. I hope I made sense, but uh, yeah, no, it. I, it, it comes back to, so in, in my ideology that I wanted to talk about was kind of like part of like the way I categorize it is also how it's introduced and how it's created on my side. So I think we can, you're touching a little bit on that of like, so you can start with the introduction of, I'll, I'll call it the background, but it's basically the theme, the what their is their influence, their quirkiness, basically giving them info about the villain before they meet the villain. So that is the letters they found, they found, or like the picture they found. Um, and or that's like usually... the, the damage that they've caused, right? Yeah. Like, oh, they destroyed this town, or this town is now an economic shambles. That's a problem. Wow, their influence goes like their their influence stretches more than I thought. So this is somebody that we have to be concerned about. Um, exactly, and then you're like you you set up the fact they're going to be in contact with them at one point. And maybe the first time they are in contact is the last time they're in contact, as in, like, this is when they're going to resolve it. But so, often it's going to be, like, multiple contacts bringing to an end. These are usually the one I set up before, right? Because you have to start with the information. So, like, this villain, uh, Yoaf, and also the example that you just gave, you thought of the villain before yeah. it appeared in your game because you needed to set it up. So that's one big category of like you create the villain, then you foreshadow or you seed things about this villain ahead of time. For me, there's the other end of, of creation is the one that are created organically. And that is the one that you normally have a contact and then they learn about the background. And these I usually don't think about before. So basically what I'm saying is, I don't know if you played... Um, shadow of war or this the other the, one this is the the lord, lord of the rings of the Ring. game right yeah, yeah 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 so they have a nemesis system right so it's like when you are in contact in in one of the, the creature basic creatures and they kill you which is part of the thing they they go up in rank and like or if you fail killing at feeling fail at killing one of them you kind of create this linked like they get a scar and now they hate you or, or something like that and creates a nemesis. Mm -hmm. That is to me a very interesting and, and um, neat way of creating villains. And so basically in my game, the way it takes shape is like you encounter people and I have some NPCs that are there. I have some, some opposition and maybe one of them does a special damage to them or runs away. And you guys are like, ah, I really want this guy to like he he had a quirk and i'm i'm saying he because i'm thinking of the warp lord the warp lord was actually not premeditated i thought you probably oh, cool. were gonna kill him right away it's just that he ran away and then two of the players were like i hate this guy i want to deal with this guy and then i spent time kind of like working his backstory in to make him an interesting villain and then i introduced him multiple times but the first time you were in contact with him this was just a guy with like long, long claws who was doing this. 
and I didn't create that much more because there was a possibility he would die. And then why would I, you know, if the first thing that I use in a villain is them being in contact with you in a combat, I don't need a background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it might die, and then then you become with like plot armor and stuff like that. But if he runs away and now the players are have a goal of dealing with him, then that is a villain. Another time that happened is Triv. Uh, lately, there was a combat. There was a bunch of people attacking you. There was like the captain of the guard, and there was her and other people. And by the end, she was at top of the wall looking at you run away freaking angry and even you all we were like recurring villain you know like, <laughs> and you know what i did i went back to her and i bumped up her her skills you know like yeah, it's like yeah. it's kind of like the nemesis in in the um the um the shadow of war game it's like they also go up in rank every time they are in contact maybe not every time but you know what i mean like to make them relevant like so yeah, there was yeah. a bunch of like henchmen and you killed a bunch of them. Like, if Triv would have died and the captain of the guard would have survived, that would have become probably, like, one of the villains. So by giving it a little bit of flavor to all of your, like, let's say, main NPC, by main I mean, like, not the one that are nameless. The one that has that have name, put a little quirk, and then if something interesting happens organically, you make, you flesh them out, bring them forth in the story, and to me, these are the villains that have the most impact and are the less effort for me to create yeah. because they just happen. And there are situations, like you're saying, that are ripe for this, right? Like, if the players are going in to purge out bandits, it might be a little bit harder for you to have a situation like this happen. But what I think, like, the specific example with Triv if I can flesh it out for the people listening a little bit more, I think it's good because we were going into a social, like, it was a social environment. The people that we were there with did not know that we were going to do something and attack them. So we kind of got this opportunity to meet and discuss with, quote-unquote, the enemy. You, you know, like, it was a faction that was doing stuff that we didn't like. We knew about them. They did not know about us. And it created an, uh, an environment where we were able to talk to, interact with, get to know, and get to see a lot of quote-unquote bad characters before we did what we had to do. We killed a bunch of them, ran off, and some of them survived. So I think especially in a situation like this, and for people listening, if you're looking for uh, an environment to create a recurring villain or an environment to, to create this like this memorable person who you want to like level up later i would try to replicate maybe not precisely that scenario but find a situation where the characters can be social with the people before they engage in combat and and maybe it doesn't have to be as intricate as them like um, hosting you <laughs> yeah hosting you for a party it, it, it could be something as straightforward as you go into a bar and you're drinking some ales you're talking to the bartender and then there's a group of thugs that walk in and start pushing and shoving and you get into like a bar fight kind of but you get to you get to size them up first and then later on you find out like you don't necessarily kill people in a bar fight right so you you get to then you find out that maybe some of those 
people are part of a bandit group or one of them works for an organization. Like you can kind of see that stuff after once they really pick a fight with one particular character and like this guy really gets under my skin, I'm gonna go punch his teeth out. That's where you can kind of enable a situation for them to see before. Because I'm trying to think of the reason I'm saying this, Chris, is because at first I was like, it's easy for you to add as a game master, it's easy for you to just have an NPC or an enemy in a combat run away, right? Like, just throw in a few extra people, make sure that they run away before the players get to them, and then that, that person could be, quote-unquote, a recurring villain that comes back. But that's not going to have the same impact as if the players actually get to interact with the characters first. I, th I think that that's what makes Triv in this example, a really good recurring villain because we know who this person is to a certain degree. We know what she looks like. We talked to them. We joked around with her. So, like, it's going to create really fun um, interactions during a fight, you know, where we can mm -hmm. talk Yeah, it's to her not just a, a big point, a big bag of hit points. And last, last game when she ambushed you, again, it was like a couple of arrows. You're like, no problem. We have it. And the second, it's like, you see it's Triv. Everybody at the table is like, oh, <laughs> we're in trouble. You know, like, we know this, this is a bad, a bad woman right there. Like, she, she, she means business. So, because we've seen her. Um, so, it's, it, I guess what I'm saying with this type is, like, follow your player's interests. That is, you know, we always, we often talk about player agency and making sure, like, their choice of an impact. Their choice can create villains. You know, like, they mm -hmm. can antagonize people and then you not using that is a missed opportunity in my book and you need to capitalize on that and then not just bring them back and they get killed and then like that's why I'm, I'm i'm a big fan of like you know level them up a little bit and give them a little bit more backstory a little bit more in the case of triv i don't really need more backstory i guess um because like you said, you, you talk to her, but like in the case of the Warplord, he was basically kind of like the beast almost before. Yeah. And then I was like, no, this is to me not super interesting. So now backstory, motivation, and then make him an anti-villain, an anti introduce him in a scenario where he talks to you, kind of like doing the opposite of Triv, where you can't yeah. really fight back. But like, and that is also a hard way, a hard way of introducing a villain of like, yeah, Putting that's something that, that people have opinions about, right? Like, I, yeah. <laughs> when you have the villain come in the first game and you have them do a monologue, but they're untouchable and then they disappear in a puff of smoke, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's a quote-unquote stereotypical way of having your villain, even if they're not reoccurring, they're, they're like the villain of the game, they show up and this happens. I'm not a big fan of that. I, I think that the, the, the ways we described up until now are more interesting. Um, and are more realistic. You, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I mean, this is where we go, player agency becomes a problem, right? Because you have a villain that is untouchable. So whatever you do, it's not, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to... You won't be able to, to kill or basically achieve anything. This is just me showing you. And that was something that I was very worried about because I don't want to do that. So when mm -hmm. the Warp Lord came to talk to you, in my book, you could do whatever you want, but in my mind, as I set up a situation where a PC could die. Like, it's almost like this choice is there, 
but the consequence is so high. But if it's so high that it's like unthinkable, it's it's kind of the same. It's, but, like, it's but, the same, right? It's railroady yeah. at, at this point. But there's also anyway. So it's it's hard to manage this. this thing. Yeah, yeah, and and I think like I don't think people should beat themselves up over doing it. Like, like you said, you it's did it to tool, a certain yeah. degree, but it was narrative and it had value. I did it too, where I had one of the big bad guys on his boat sailing away off into the distance and you guys were trying to shoot at him with a giant cannon but like between you and i you guys weren't gonna hit that you weren't gonna hit his boat mm. like he was gonna make it out alive like that's yeah just, yeah that's just you, what it is you what managed it is. to hit with your cannon okay you slow him down and maybe you know it's 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 yeah. not gonna be a, a full success for sure because you want that villain to get away that is yeah, to, to me, that makes sense. And that's where we have very narrative games and the players realize, like, okay, this is a narrative beat. Mm -hmm. where... This is a moment that I'm going to appreciate later, so I'm going to let it happen. And and, and I'm going to spectate for a bit while it happens, and then I'll come back in. And, and I don't say that in a bad way, but... Yeah, yeah, but it has to make sense, though. Like, like it has to not just be forced... Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. it is forced, but like, like you having the guy on the boat that sells away, it's like, well, yeah, it just, he's on the boat selling away. What can we do? Like, the player should not always have a chance of success, of like full success, you know, like, like, of like, yeah. oh, we stop mm -hmm. the main zone. So it makes sense to, to, to have that, the situation where the villain has the upper hand sometimes. And that is um, a hard balance to, to hit. Yeah, we're yeah, pretty much yeah. done. Right we're, here. we're 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 going pretty long. Um, just making sure we covered everything. But is there is there any last minute things, Chris, villains that that you feel like we didn't get to say that you really want to say? Um, I mean, there's, I guess, I guess it's like at this point, it's being creative with it. So like, I hope it was it it, it sparked some in, some some different things, some some ideas. Like you can do so many like villains versus villains, right? To have like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Uh, redeemable villains to like uh, maybe have them on your side at one point and now you worry like are they on my side actually or are mm -hmm. they going to stab me in the back or are they reliable but maybe they're really reliable because their motivation is so clear to you and it just happened that you you can mm -hmm. work with that motivation for a yeah. certain time lots of interesting thing to do there's the whole like patron villain where like maybe he finances you to do things that you don't know at the end are villainous you know like go get that artifact kill that person and gives you like a wrong reason and you learn later that you've been used by the villain that i guess that's a mastermind version mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. so it's 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 like it's like you know we talk about big pieces but they can be put in very uh fun and, and interesting way and they don't always have to be huge either right like we're talking a lot about the big bad but a villain is a villain, and it could be a villain for three games and then die, and and still be mm. interesting. So I think also also playing with the scale of like, who is this villain a villain to? How big of a territory are they a villain? Like if, mm -hmm. if you play with the scope of of this person uh, and their impact, that can be interesting too, right? You don't always want to be face to face as a player. You don't always want to be face to face with this person who's in charge of a, such a vast vast territory sometimes it's fun to deal with a henchman sometimes it's a it's a change of pace to deal with a villain that's maybe not that bad like like the thing mm -hmm. that they're doing is just like mildly annoying but it's 
but it's still annoying, so you want to get rid of them, or it's annoying to the party, so you, so you get rid of them, or, or to your motivation. So it's like just slightly clashes. That could be a, that could be an interesting interlude as well. Yeah, and and like the opposition, a little bit piggybacking on what you just said, like the opposition of a villain in D and D, it's a lot of like death, right? Like you kill the villain. Uh, I mean, you can do whatever you want in D and D, but like this is usually the way the mechanic tends to point to. Uh, there's the mentally, the mental part we talked about when you play in games like Cthulhu uh, mm-hmm. or uh, Warhammer. There's a little bit of that, and like you know, being control. But there's also like political, right? Like having someone that is at the head, and you want to deal with them, quote. But it's not killing them; it's removing them from power, j- just because their values, the way they control, is not you think it's 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 poison you know you think it's toxic but then your game you know if you have murder hobos or you just have players that are not interested in rent and playing in a political game mm-hmm. then that becomes just tedious so it's but but there's so diff, so many different axes of opposition to a villain you know that's that is something to consider like how will they deal with this like what is the proper tool to dealing with that one and making sure your players understand like you know you don't don't just kill everybody otherwise there's going to be consequences to you yeah yeah i yeah awesome so that's that's our conversation about villains i hope you guys enjoyed it um if you have questions or comments or want us to talk more about villains because i feel like we're already going long but we could go on forever so yeah let us know uh contact us on twitter that's at roll underscore play underscore chat or Matt has an email that's contactroleplaychat at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, and so that was a fun conversation. I'm, I'm happy to end, end, not end, but again, for, for the last recording with you, Chris, in a while anyway, to be about villains, because this is a neat and in-depth topic. I hope, uh, hope all of you listening had fun with that. Yeah, it's something I'm very passionate about, because... I like to con- continuously bring new villains and finding new flavors and an interesting way of introducing them. It's it's quite an art and that is a nice subject to finish on. All right, so with that, call it a chat. Bye guys. <laughs>